Welcome to another episode of Vertello on Air. I'm Mike Stockton coming to you from Peachtree City, Georgia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm Balash Renzi coming to you from Karlsruhe, Germany. Hey, Balash, how are you? Hey, Mike, I'm good. How are things in Peachtree? Uh, what well, was it? Peachtree? Peachtree City, so it's a, it's a suburb of Atlanta. So I was downtown in Atlanta all week and came out here to see some family so my sister and nephews right. and her husband and yeah just been chilling here for a few days and it's nice i mean it's 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 been a good been a good trip honestly so you stayed um you stayed in a hotel during your travels i mean during your work week and now you're spending the weekend with the family or you stay there and then kind of commuted to the to the work and back no um you know i'm sure you know about Atlanta traffic. It's terrible. Yeah, so yeah. I, I stayed right in the center of downtown. The event I was in was in the, uh, the big Congress center there, like their big, mm -hmm. uh, Mesa. And mm -hmm. so I stayed at the Marriott Marquis downtown, which I remember seeing as a kid, but if you have the chance to go to downtown Atlanta, I mean, there's a lot to do, but this hotel is sort of interesting. And I think it will go down architecturally as something pretty fascinating it's one of those with that's open all the way up to the top when you step in cool and yeah it's all um how would you call it like cast concrete basically so mm -hmm. it looks almost like um if you know the twa terminal at jfk yeah uh you know some of these erosarin and type type uh buildings and anyhow it had been like 35 years since i've been in there and uh, i stayed there which was fine um and yeah it was kind of a, a a nice hotel to stay in and good event and yeah so i'm here and actually we're recording this on a sunday and i'm gonna fly out in like five hours so i'm going back to germany oh okay well i didn't know that's close in this case safe flights in advance and uh i guess yeah. we'll We'll catch you on the other side once you land next week. To, well, next week, well, yeah, it's Sunday evening. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Absolutely. Tomorrow. Cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, how about you? Nice. Well, I'm home. <laughs> I went uh, went for a morning swim. There was, I haven't nice. been there in a long time, so it was quite interesting. And I have to say um, I'm happy to report on that I have not slowed down, but I also did not pick up any pace since I left <laughs> swimming. So I'm uh, I'm around about a kilometer within 30 minutes which which has always been my thing right i did not swim for for other than the 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 sport itself like the motion moving in the water and and stuff like that and um i think my best was like 1.2 in in 30 minutes and i i don't do freestyle because um and I, i don't know i never did and um i have less control over my um i wouldn't say my body but less control over how i swim And um, mm -hmm. it's pretty packed, even on a Sunday morning. Uh, funnily enough, the the swim uh, the the swimming pool opens at nine, so at eight fifty, it was like twenty people queuing up already. Um, so yeah, so you you really have to like you know kind of get out of the way and things like that. And I'm, I'm really I'm going, or I used to go maybe once or twice a week. So I wasn't really an avid avid swimmer, but um, but I went back. So I said, why not? It's really warm here, as in like twenty eight. And yeah. um, it was a good, um, it was a, it was a good 30 minutes in the, in the water. So that's right. it. And uh, yeah, other than that, I'm not traveling, of course. Uh, you know, I, I was last week and I think when we recorded the last episodes, that was 
after I got back, but before you left. Now, yes. now you are getting back tomorrow, and um, yeah, we haven't talked too much about about my trip, and we can get into that. But um, maybe before that, we wanna we wanna check the the wrist the Hengelenx controller controller exactly. I can do it. I should try to say that with a southern accent since I'm in the south right now. But, do it. But I won't. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I can do it. And, um, yeah, it kind of connects this to my to my topic or to my travel topic. Um, so, basically, I'm wearing my Moonswatch Mars, mm. which I picked up last week. Um, while in Switzerland, okay, and um, it was pretty funny. Uh, I did a I did a write up about it for Fratello. I'm not sure when it's going to come out, but it's it was. Um, I was not there for the moon swatch. I was not there for well. I was there for for work, Fratello, and otherwise, and and it was just a like a side gig, so to speak. We were driving from Le Loc on this, uh, you know, this uh, La Chautefonds in Neuchâtel area. The French mm-hmm. area to to um, to Zurich, and then when you drive there, also when oh, Jesus Christ, I'm saying also. <laughs> so when you when you are driving from from the Swiss part, uh, the uh, French part to the German part, you're basically passing by Biel. So okay. so I said, why don't we? Because uh, my colleagues they've never been to the, they haven't seen the new Omega buildings and the Swatch buildings and whatever. And we, we were kind of in a hurry, but we had some time. And I said, why don't we stop by and check out the the museum? You know, the, the new Omega building is pretty nice and blah, blah, blah. And once we were there, the, the, we saw that the Swatch shop, there's this drive-through, right? This drive-through Swatch shop <clears throat> at the Omega and the Swatch building. And I said, we should check out if they have a moon Swatch. Ha, ha, ha. Because nobody does. And so we parked the car. We went in. It's a really teeny tiny little shop, like a like a kiosk or something. Okay. We went in, and there was the display and everything, and uh, two very lovely ladies. And we asked them, uh, "Hey, do you have some moon swatches?" And she said, "Well, as a matter of fact, we do have some. Not all of them, but um, hey, we have the Saturn, we have Earth, we have Mars, and they had something else." And we were like, "Oh, wow, okay." Um, so all I heard was Mars because that's what I wanted, you know, to begin with. And so I said, um, so my colleague went first and he bought the Saturn um, and he bought the last one. And then I bought the Mars and I think they they still had some left. And then just as like we were one uh, or a, a few seconds before we arrived there before a lady. And so we were in the shop when she entered otherwise the shop was empty so she entered and then another lady entered and they both wanted to get moon swatches i think they just probably on their lunch break or something popped by and the lady wanted to get the saturn as well so she was a bit bummed that she couldn't get that um mm. but they ran out of that but they they did have some mm. and then um you know we said okay cool and i mean i don't want to i don't want <clears throat> to talk too much about it i, mean, I can't tell the story but um you can also people can also read the article uh, let's just say that our luck uh, went downhill from Peel, <laughs> and uh, I, I leave it at that. But I mean, where else, right? To buy a moon swatch or yeah, right at the source, right? Right. I mean, at least they had some, and that's like the headquarters of. I think that's the headquarters of Swatch by the Swatch Museum, like literally across across the street from the Swatch Museum. Um, they did have some, and and that's the cool. other shops where we went, they also said they do have some from time to time. 
but while we were there, we they they didn't have it, so we could not buy anything. Oh, nice. So, how do you like the Mars? I mean, the colors are a little louder than uh, some like of the it. other pieces. So, yeah, um, it's pretty difficult to dress it up with a strap. I have to say, yeah, because if you want to put a red strap on it, it will become gimmicky. A and B, you will not have a, a, a tone-on-tone strap that matches the, the case. And then it's, it's yeah, you know, like having a red case and a red-ish or a different tone red strap, it's kind of, kind of a no-go. Um, yeah. I had a, a vintage Tropic, a green one, which turns it into a Hungarian or Italian watch. Uh, <laughs> how you like it, because the strap is green, the case is red, and the, the dial is white. Um, so right now, actually, I'm wearing it on the on the sailcloth strap that you gave me last time I saw you. Oh, the, nice. The, uh, yeah, the um, uh, the Artem uh, yep. sailcloth. So thanks a lot. Good. It's really, really convenient and, and pretty pretty comfortable on the watch. It looks good because it's kind of sporty, right? The, the sailcloth yeah. materials, not as serious, quote-unquote serious, as, the, as leather. Um, so yeah, it's difficult to to dress it up properly, but uh, and I had to take off the strap, the, the original one immediately. I mean, it's yeah, it's I'm with you. Don't really like it. Not the best, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's nice. We'll enjoy that. Yeah, and I I do. I'm I'm with you. I still have mine on the Artem as well. I think it looks re- really good with it. It's sort of classes it up, but still is sporty. You know. Yeah, yeah, and this is what it needs, right? You can you can put it on a leather strap, and I mean, if the like, for example, I have a close friend and and um, with a Saturn, and that's the beige case works really well with many straps, right? Uh, beige leather straps or suede straps and things, and it's super easy to to dress that watch up. But this one is is not really because of the red. It's it's just. You need something, something completely neutral, like a black or a brown, or a, maybe a, an olive green NATO or something like that. Um, but I'm I'm happy with the with the look, right? And and I like the watch. I mean, it's we talked about this, right? It is what it is. It's a 200 euro plastic watch, um, yeah. but it's it's cool. I I like the red uh, red case. It kind of looks looks funny every time you look at it because of the hands. Right? It kind of looks like the um, the Alaska Project uh, hands. So. It, almost feels like you're wearing an Alaska project, but it weighs nothing and it, it's bright red. So absolutely funny, funny colors. Yeah. Are you wearing yours uh, or have you just had your honeymoon with it and now it's in the box? Um, no, I mean, I haven't worn, I mean, I've been traveling a lot lately, but I do wear it, you know, and I'm home, you know, once every week or every other week, you know, I'll, mm-hmm. it's part of the rotation and it is kind of nice just to be able to throw it on, you know, it's always got the right time and everything. So yeah. it's, it's sort of fun. I, I have to admit, I, I forget where I traveled to at one point and I thought about bringing it. And then I was like, you know, actually <laughs> this is like the kind of watch that right now, at least if people know what it is, um, it's almost, uh, like, a, like a, theft, a theft thing. Right. So, yeah. um, and like a hotel room normally like leave a swatch watch on the counter but i don't think you would right now so yeah yeah i mean it's it's almost stupid to be afraid to wear certain watch especially this one but uh but yeah i mean i I, hype around it and 
but but I don't know um, what you're hearing. Um, a friend of mine in Paris, Boris, he um, just bought the Mars. He was tired of waiting. He didn't didn't have a moon swatch yet, and I think he paid at the end of the day a hundred euros over list for it for someone. So he paid three fifty. So it does seem like they're coming down in price yeah. on the secondary. I think they're coming down because they are selling or or they are in in stock for, for, for well for better or worse at, at least it was for me and now the offers are just just I mean I'm pr- I'm pretty sure I don't know the numbers right but I'm pretty sure that the big chunk of the people who are getting them now are buying them to to yeah. resell them so if you look at like eBay or eBay Kleinanzeigen in Germany which is like this Craigslist right of Gumtree kind of thing of of Germany it's flooded with it and yeah. and I think uh yeah, paying paying hundred dollar uh, or or euros extra isn't too bad. I still would not do it. I would much okay. rather not have it. And until it's available, then paying even twenty euros extra, uh, unless it's a friend and they say, "Hey, I'm going to cover your gas or something for your car." But but the prices are going down for sure. Yeah, just which, which is good, I think. But it's been out over two months now. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it has. I mean. But you know, it's it's like a lot of things today. It's still popular, but it the the hype has sort of quieted, right? So I think so, yeah. Which is good. So nice. Well, good. Congrats on on just being able to walk in and get that. That's kind of a neat. It's kind of a fun thing. I mean, it's how it should be, right? So yeah, exactly. And that was the that was the good thing. Like you just walk in, you ask them, and then they say sure. And then I have to mention, <clears throat> without um, um, any well, spoiler alert. Uh, in in Zurich. We checked out the shop, and they, there was actually a queue. Uh, oh, really? People, oh. Uh, because everybody was, and they had none. <clears throat> so they said they have from time to time, but that that day they had none. But still, there was a queue. So, uh, and it's funny because I was in the queue for like five minutes. I thought, well, why not? You know, it's gonna it's gonna be a cool thing to add to the article to the story, which I did. And while I was waiting there, two people came up to me and asked me. Uh, what's going on? Why are why are people queuing up? So oh yeah, some people still are <laughs> not sure what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, still months. I out. um I was in the King of Prussia Mall outside of Philly like four or five weeks ago when I was over there, and I didn't even bother to go into the swatch store. Um, <laughs> it, who knows? Maybe they would have had some. I, I doubt it though. I really doubt it. And uh, I think you know, in a mall like that. If you're a mall employee, I'm sure that people working there just walk by all the time because why not, right? You, you yeah. just walk by on your lunch break, and if you could buy something that you could make a hundred or two hundred bucks off of, why wouldn't you? And I yeah. think that good chance, you know, fat chance of being able to just walk in and get one if, if you're if you're not working, you know, right next door. So. Yeah. Yeah, you can you can you can come in in the morning, lunch break in the evening, and then eventually you'll be lucky, and people know you. They'll know what you want, so they can let you know. Or yeah, this time we have something. Well, I mean, or whatever. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, it's. I guess it's it's good for the people who who live around a, a, a swatch store, whether that's Frankfurt or 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 Basel or or even Philly for that matter. But yeah it's still not available online you still cannot just walk i mean you cannot always buy every swatch at the swatch store anyways right it, yeah, that's, that's true but but then the story is a bit different with this one yeah yeah oh, anyways i'm happy i have one i think that's my uh that's my swatch 
Moonswatch collection, at least for the time being. I don't really plan on buying too many. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So what are, what's on your wrist? Yeah, so I'm I'm still wearing uh, what I had on when we recorded last time. I decided to bring one watch on this trip, and mm-hmm. that's the uh, Tudor Black Bay 58 Silver on the Forstner Model J. And I always travel with the spring bar in my luggage, and I brought a couple straps, like a Tropic and my Canvas one, but I have not switched out the... Um, the bracelet at all in the entire trip here and went swimming with it yesterday for the first time. And I must say um, between the watch and the bracelet, it really felt like wearing, sorry to say this felt like wearing a Rolex pretty much. Um, You know, it was very comfortable. The bracelet was such that, you know, it didn't pull hair and it felt it, it felt good. And the clasp does not feel too big. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kudos to them on making a really nice bracelet. And as far as how it's matching the watch, I'm still really a believer uh, that that it works. I, I really think that, again, most of the lighting that I was in, whether it was like really bright light or kind of dim light, you know, getting a drink after the convention I was at, um, I thought it blended pretty well. I, I didn't really ever get the feeling like this really doesn't work or doesn't match well. And I know we had a comment from someone on our last podcast in the article about, Oh no, what happened to that poor nine two five? What did somebody do to it? And totally, totally get it. Like if you don't like it, you don't like it. And I'm also pretty convinced that for some people, the silver may turn a different color than it did on mine. And Maybe it would be more of a contrast, but for me, it's really pretty darn close. And mm-hmm. I, I would say it's turned it. I, I, sometimes I just like traveling with a watch with a bracelet, and this has made the watch much more versatile to me. So I've got an article um, pretty well penned, but I wanted to bring it on an extended trip and live with it every day and see if I got sick of it or just really told myself, nah, this doesn't work, but it works. It really works. You're putting some miles on that, on that. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, the bracelet does not feel cheap or it doesn't feel like it doesn't belong on a watch that, you know, is not cheap. So, um, no, I feel I feel pretty good with it, and I'll keep wearing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's what's on my wrist, and um, I think I posted one picture of it during this trip. I've I've kind of not been doing a ton of Instagram, but I posted a picture of it at the Georgia Aquarium with a whale shark in the background. <laughs> I saw and, that. Yeah, that that was a neat place to visit. By the way, I'm uh, there was like a reception there one night, so we had kind of had the place to ourselves. I mean, there were a lot of people, but I'm told during the day it it really does get quite crowded, but it's a Mm -hmm. unique place. I was reading um, the main tank there where the whale sharks and and stuff are is giant manta rays is 6.3 million gallons. Jesus. Yeah. Which makes it like the the largest I think in the world. So I guess for. It's like one gallon is around four liters, right? So exactly. It's like 25 million liters. million liters. Crazy. Yeah. yeah it's really impressive and to sound like it it made me feel like dr no you know like i just stood there (laughs) 
and you've got basically like a, a huge flat uh, wall of of the aquarium in front of you with this these things gliding around, mm-hmm. and you could just sit there, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And apparently they have, um, I think it's like uh, I don't know if it's schools or whatever, but some of these parts of the aquarium they'll actually do like sleepovers of oh. kids, you know, in front of the tank. Oh, cool! And, yeah. I mean, that's pretty neat, right? Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a site to wake up to and go to sleep to. And yeah. I guess they're putting on the lights and everything before they they shut it down for the evening. Yeah. Must be insane. Yeah, so oh, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not really a an aquarium guy. I'm not really a, a zoo guy. I, I always feel sorry for the animal. Uh, like, I'm you know, with you. In, in, in it, especially for zoos. I, I think there is no zoo. That, I mean, I understand in certain zoos they try to um, – you know, like get certain breeds together and try to mate them and and control the population, which is cool. I no doubt about that. But I'm really not into that too much. And um, there's the big one, obviously, in Dubai at the Dubai Mall. So every year we are well, not every year, but every time we're in Dubai for the watch thing. And before when I was there privately, we went to the Dubai Mall and checked out the aquarium. And then you can like, you know, I'm sure you can do this also there in Atlanta. You can walk into there's this tunnel basically and yep. And you can walk through this, not a long tunnel, so maybe, I don't know what, 50 meters or so. And then you can see everything above you. And then there's like tours in the aquarium. Like you can walk above the the tanks and uh, see how they feed them. And if you have money, you can also scuba dive in the tank, which is the dumbest stuff ever, I think. <laughs> you know, in the, the Sims yeah. parks inside the, the shopping mall. But anyways, um, so it's it's really something special. I guess I like aquariums better than i like zoos but i'm still not a not a a yeah i'm i'm with you and i and i think that you know there's a portion of the you know the animals that are there that are sort of rescued from really bad aquariums or traveling shows and things like Mm. that so you know they're not going to go out in the wild anyway yeah the whale sharks i'm sort of yeah that that's polarizing to me because they are taken I think off the coast of Taiwan, which, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if anybody hunts these anyway, so you could maybe argue that, well, I don't know what the fate of these, these animals would be, but, you know, they've had in, I think the 18 years or so, or since it's been open, they've had several of them pass away and mm-hmm. uh, they estimate in some cases, these things could be 120 years old when they get there and they live 13 more years. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, sure. I'm with you. Something that large, I think, should be able to yeah. have its space and do what it mm-hmm. do whatever it wants. Um, but I, I don't know what their fate would be in the wild anyway. So, yeah. Well, if they don't hunt them, then the fate is. <laughs> yeah. Then the fate is. Then, yeah. Then I, the, exactly. So, sure. but you know, regardless, it was a it was yeah. a cool trip and, and nice to see and. Um, yeah, so. of course you're with family, which is always great to see. I guess you don't really see them too often anyway. So yeah, uh, yeah. it's a good thing to spend some time before <laughs> you come back tomorrow. Absolutely. Hmm. So what else? I think you've got kind of an interesting, uh, watch nearby you that, you know, if we wanted to hit some news and, and before we get to, well, I guess you'll, you'll introduce a topic later that will lead us into yet another interview that, that sure. uh, going to talk about so sure i i um 
so there's a new there's a, a few new releases obviously from from swatch group brands and and one of those brands that i think uh, both you and i enjoy is is certina and um they released a watch called the ds chronograph automatic now this watch the name doesn't tell you too much about it right and um, I'm not sure. Well, I, I kind of am sure why they didn't use the name, the original name, because uh, the this watch is the um, it's a it's a reedition, and um, it's a reedition of a Certina Argonaut, but it actually isn't an Argonaut. So, um, if you, for those of you who who know Certinas or who follow vintage Certinas you might remember or might have read that I, my article on the Certina Argonauts, which there's plenty of them. There's uh, two sub-dial and three sub-dial versions, the two sub-dial versions with the Volju 23 and the three uh, sub-dial versions are with the Volju 726 movements. And then there's another one, which is called often called the Argonaut Chrono 200M. And um, well, it has Argonaut on the dial, but sometimes I, I, I don't see the, the Argonaut. I don't know if Certina did not use it because maybe the Argonaut name is, is you know, protected by somebody else. But in any case, if you look up vintage Argonaut Chrono 200Ms, you'll find this watch. The reference is uh, 8401002. And the original one had a Volju 23 in it, as I said. So it's the same case as the normal Argonaut with a difference uh of a bezel this one has a bezel a rotating bezel and uh the case i mean sorry the dial design is a bit different you have a black dial with huge um yellow loomed indexes huge white hands and um, um white chronograph hand and the watch was or, or is the vintage one i mean is uh um, as the name suggests 200 meters water resistant with a with a 60 minute rotating bezel and so Certina basically re-released re this model, uh, calling it the DS Chronograph Automatic, for 1,990 euros in Germany. Um, it's the same Argonaut case as you would have on the vintage Argonauts, but it's much, much bigger than that. So I guess for us uh, vintage guys, it's a bit of a bummer, right? Because you always... Yeah. yeah, you're always looking for something that's as close to the original as possible, like you would have with Nevada or whatever. Uh, in this case, you have a 42.5, which is rather 43 millimeter uh, case, which is 15 millimeters thick and uh, takes a 21 millimeter strap. So uh, it's a pretty large watch. Uh, it, it comes on a, on a black and gray NATO strap, and it's obviously water resistant to 200 meters, as the original was. Um, you have Superluminova on the dial. You have uh, an automatic uh, um, movement with the with the um, silicon hairspring. So I think it's the Powermatic eighty as well. But to be honest, I haven't I haven't checked that. But let me just quickly check if that's the uh, if that's the same one. Um, no, it's the seven based on the seven seven fifty three. Ah, yeah, because it's a chronograph. I'm sorry. Yeah, of course, it's not the power medicate. It has 60 hours of power reserve, which is still not bad for a chronograph. So 
it's the I think it's the most interesting, and of course the bezels. It's the most interesting version of all the Argonauts, right? Um, and um, I just got it a few days ago, so I still haven't spent too much time with it. The design is obviously very, very close to the original. The size is not, but uh, yeah, yeah, I I I like it. Uh, I think it's cool, but it, it is big, and I wish it were. I wish it were smaller. Um, I like the bezel. I like that it sort of used that Omega sort of poured acrylic bezel of the time. Um, mm-hmm. And they kept that. I, I'm with you. I'm not sure why Argonaut wasn't utilized again, but it's a neat watch. I, I have to believe though, that something like this, especially coming only on a NATO strap, for example, and that version is going to be a bit of a niche piece, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you usually, I mean, you have it with like the DS PH 200 M, if you remember, especially the blue one uh, with the gold, uh, um, the, the round blue bezel with the gold, um, numbers and stuff that came on a, on a NATO strap as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting piece. It's a nice watch. I, I'm, I'm not yet sure what I think about it, but, um, but it's, it's close to the original. It's, uh, it's something that because of the, the, the case shape, right? You don't really see these things getting re-released. Yeah, it's not round. It's not not even cushion or, or tonal shaped. It's a very very different. Okay, look. sure. Mm-hmm. Did you did you happen to get the PVD coated one as well? No, I only asked for, for what. Well, they could only give me one, and I asked for the steel one just because it looks more uh, similar to the to the vintage Argonaut that I have. Yeah, you know, strangely, um, I I kind of like the uh, PVD one. I like the dial. The fact mm-hmm. that it's it's very monochromatic and yeah i i'm kind of neither here nor there on pvd but it this one i like and it, it's a bit more huh, how would i say almost serious looking and yeah i i like the fact that there's no date um mm-hmm. that that was a really good move i i'm always kind of questioning you know, like the word automatic with such a prominent space above six o'clock. I'm sure they did that to sort of even out the dial and all, but yeah. If I look at like the DS super pH 500 M, which is right next to it on the site, I feel like automatic really small below Certina would have been okay with the, maybe the model name instead above six o'clock. But yeah, I mean the vintage one had Argonaut Chrono 200 M on the dial. So yeah. I said Chrono 200M or automatic Chrono 200M. I don't know, but I'm with you. Having an automatic on the dial, it's like it's like having a date. It's not necessary. It's not yeah. necessary to have a date for a re-edition piece, and it's not necessary to put automatic on an automatic watch because you, as soon as you lift it up, you'll see it's automatic. Yeah. Did uh, so, so it's a screw-down crown, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's a screw-down crown. It's um, um. Funnily enough, the um, the bezel I want to say it's a it's a sapphire crystal bezel, so it's not a ceramic bezel, but it's a it's a sapphire crystal bezel um, with super luminova, of course, that's also on the dial, and uh, um, sapphire crystal. I mean, the crystal is also sapphire crystal. And um, one fun thing is, I mean, it's only two hundred only two hundred meters water resistant, but it has a display case back. So oh wow! 
once okay. you remove the NATO strap, which I just did, then uh, you see the, the the movement and you see the um, it's a pretty big display case back, I have to say. And uh, you know the usual stuff around it: stainless steel, water resistant, uh, reference numbers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I showed it to a friend of mine, and he said he doesn't like the logo. He doesn't like the the Certina logo on the 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 rotor because it's the old not the logo but the name 13 is written in this font that we used in the 40s and 50s but i said dude you just you know let's not split hair here that's <laughs> yeah you're not gonna see that much anyway no, right so. no absolutely not um i don't know if i like it on the on the strap um funnily enough i uh <laughs> i don't know if my friend from Vintage Sartinas, Pascal, had anything to do with the design. But if you look at his website, you see the watch, the picture of the watch on this black and gray NATO strap. And this one also comes, as I said, on a black and gray NATO strap. So um, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, NATO straps were not around in the 60s. So I guess he, he used his on a NATO strap. And then maybe Sartinas said, wow, it looks good. Let's just use the same color. Yeah, uh, well... It- it's kind of a tough watch to, I mean, I see the PVD one comes with a strap, um, yeah. but it's, it's a little bit tough to fit a strap to it. And I can imagine going to the lengths of creating a bespoke bracelet for that case also was, yeah, w- would have pushed the price up quite a bit. And I'm not sure, like we said, with such a unique case shape, if they're going to get the sales volume out of it to justify it. Right. Right, yeah, they yeah, always have to think about that. But I think I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a it's going to be a great seller because it's really a, a nice piece. Maybe not as much as the PH uh, 200M because that was really a, a, a heavy hitter watch for for Satina. But I, I I hope that this one will sell well, and um, hopefully I don't know when in the next few days if you'll be around, I can I can try to to organize a trip to you and we can bring you the watch uh, and then you can have a look at it. Um, I think it's yeah, yeah it's it's a uh, worth checking it out so yeah uh review hopefully soon coming cool. to Tello. Cool. nice so then um totally different subject we wanted to spend like one minute on right so uh <laughs> we got kind of a a funny message right about a, a brand in germany and and the pronunciation of that brand right yeah, it's the same. It's the same last podcast. Uh, you had the the as you said the guy who was talking about you putting the the bracelet on the watch, and then there was another uh, user, uh, Ali Mami. Uh, I, I hope that's how he writes. It seems like a or Ali Mani. It seems like kind of a funny way to do uh, Alamania, right? Could be. Yeah, could be. He's he's he uh, said um, if we're speaking of watch pronunciations, all as in capital, all of the white sites get Glashütte wrong. Please help them. <laughs> I'm not asking for everyone to navigate the umlaut, which is the, the U with the two dots above them, obviously in German language and also in Hungarian. But please, Glashütte is not Glashut. Right, so let's not uh, go into analyzing the word, but he's right. Um, the word is Glashütte. And um, I don't know why people... I also heard... Um, People calling it glass shoot. Um, yeah. It's not. Um, it's uh, the 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 U with the with the umlaut is an U, and the O with the umlaut is an Ö, and etc. Uh, etc. Et so it's glass hütte. and I don't mind. Obviously, people not 
pronouncing it correctly. But again, if you work in the industry, it's Klaus Hütte or Klaus Hütte if you can pronounce the U. Because I'm guessing for English speakers or Americans, it's a bit difficult to pronounce the U. Yeah, it's a shame it's not glass shutter. Yeah, but I, 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 I hear it all the time. I mean, the city I work in most days has an S and an H, and 99% of the Americans I work with, when they come over, pronounce it sh instead mm. of, you know, the S and the H separately. So, right. And I've just sort of stopped correcting, you know. Yeah, I mean, if the, if there's a C in between, like S-C-H, obviously in German, that's an S, like Schmidt, for example. Or uh, Goodmensch. Yeah, or Mensch, right? There you go. But if there's an S and S and H, and uh, I think I'm, I don't know where the name comes from, but Hütte is obviously a, a German word, which is this can be this little house right in the in the up in the mountains or when you're skiing or whatever. So maybe it's something like that. I, I'm not sure. I really haven't done my research on that, but um, it is indeed Glas Hütte. Or if you don't, if you can't pronounce the U, then it's Glas Hütte, but it's definitely not Glas Schut. Um, I remember when I was in school, I had a, a British. English teacher and he was he was young and he came to Hungary at the time and he was trying to learn Hungarian and he couldn't he for the love of God he could not pronounce pronounce the U's and the U's. So he said um I just say you and then I start smiling and then it's like Woo. <laughs> that's how he um and then he managed to to learn very good Hungarian. He really, really speaks good Hungarian. Shout out to Edmund Dudley. That's yeah. Cool. So um that's that and um just one tiny note uh, in this very same podcast comment in the article, R. Gilly4 says, Balaj, no love for the Spirit Collection. Um, I never said I have no love for the Spirit Collection. Um, RJ in the interview talked with um, uh, Giuseppe from Longin about the Spirit Collection. We did not mention that true. And the reason we did not mention that is because we wanted to leave something for you guys as a, as a, a, a you know, we don't, didn't want to spoiler everything that's going to be in the interview but i love the spirit collection um i think they're very very cool watches i like the green one especially with the with the brown leather strap the gmt i'm talking about um let me send the link to mike so he can also check them out so no absolutely i have no no hate for the spirit collection on the contrary i love it quite a lot and especially for the fact that they have a chronometer uh, movements obviously and the price is not too bad at 2000 oh, you're, you're, you're talking a bit about the zulu time right mm-hmm. exactly as long as you speak yeah, nice. zulu time yeah really nice. yeah, yeah. 2750 euros steel case uh 42 millimeter case automatic movement yeah i stepped it up with those big time yeah no so absolutely we will or as far as i'm concerned i love the 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 spirit collection i'm Pretty sure Mike loves that too. Yeah, I, I do. Um, but I was also thinking about Longine the other day. And the watch I really like is the, um, what is it? The uh, Marine National. Mm-hmm. That that one I really like. It's like 38 and a half millimeters. And yeah, the Heritage Marine, uh, Military Marine National. Mm-hmm. And that one just i think it's great i'm i've never tried one on uh which is probably a good thing um for the wallet yeah yeah but they've got they've got such a good collection of those three-handed watches now with uh kind of heritage pieces the sector one um 
yeah, re- really nice collection they've got going. And I, and I don't think like, for example, spirit, we were, we were neglecting it, but we were focused more on vintage that day, weren't we? No, absolutely. And as I said, I just, I just didn't want to talk about everything that's, that's happening in the, in the interview. So um, that's why we left that out. But uh, I, I hope you enjoyed the interview by the way. Yeah. So speaking of interviews, um, why don't you introduce us a little to the next topic? Maybe we can talk a, a little bit about one of your sort of yeah. signature looks for a minute and then get on with it. Yeah. So uh, two weeks ago, um, RJ's interview, this launching interview was added to the podcast and last week, um, or well, actually, well, when we recorded it is to, is next week, but when you listen to this, it's last week. It's your interview, Mike, with uh, with Fred uh, about the Breitling event. And so this week, it just so happens that I also have an interview. So we have three interviews back to back to back. And this is uh, an interview that it's well, it's a long time coming for me. I started to kind of organize this one when we still did Wasp with with Rob, and because it's more of a sports related. Uh, talk right it's with the interviews with stan smith not the shoe but the man yeah and so i asked miguel uh our friend from portugal because i know he knows the man and of course miguel is is uh, also a a tennis expert but um so he connected me to the morris de moriak brand because they have a watch with stan smith and so um, Leo, one of the, the two brothers, um, he was kind enough to, I mean, he said, of course, we can make it happen. And then just last week, and this was part of the reason I was in Switzerland just last week, um, there was the Roland Garros, so the French Open, and Stan was here in Paris. And so he took a train, the TGV, to Zurich and spent the day, like one afternoon and the next day morning with the guys and then went back to to Paris. And while he was here, he was you know, doing a bit of, um, I guess, meet and greet, you would call it, um, signing some shoes, doing some interviews and things like that. And Leo um, from Maurice de Moriac, um gave us the first spot. So after Stan signed a bunch of shoes and posters and whatnot, he sat down with me and we did a podcast recording. Uh, I had a few questions for him, tennis-related, shoe and lifestyle and sneakers and stuff-related and watch-related. And we had a 20-minute chat, 25-minute chat. Super nice guy. Very, very nice man. Very happy to to be able to sit down with him. Well, that's pretty cool. And I, I'm a late convert on these shoes. And um, <laughs> Late bloomer. <laughs> which, I, which I have you to, to thank. I mean, it's weird that they're, they're shoes that I remember from my childhood, like actually college age. I remember coming down to Florida with a couple buddies and we went and uh, – pretty popular to go to thrift stores at that time, whether we were looking at vintage clothing or records and a buddy of mine hopped over to the shoe area and there was like a pair of new old stock Stan Smiths oh, from wow. like the eighties or something. And mm-hmm. he bought them and we got home and my dad's like, Oh yeah. He's like, I used to have those. And then like a few weeks ago when I was over in the Philly area, we stopped over to friend's house and his father his stepdad was there and he looked at my shoes and he's like i used to wear those all the time nice. and <laughs> so so it's really funny how they've uh they've just gone generation to generation they're like chucks you know they're they're yeah. basically on that level and w- without the the gang culture connection <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i i had a question for you because um 
I actually wore them. And, and by, uh, kind of before I asked the question, I actually wore them this week. I was at a, we were at a conference and I was manning a booth for three days. And, mm-hmm. you know, now with everything, like these types of shoes are, you, you can wear them with like sort of dressier slacks and a polo or whatever. And, you know, you see like white, all white Gucci shoes. And to me, like the Stan Smith gives up nothing to those. And, mm-hmm. you know, why spend $600 when you can rock these for 90 bucks or whatever. And, um, any, anyhow, so, so I've been wearing them a lot. And the question I had for you, um, because I looked online at the, the ones I own and it says they're vegan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So were they originally made of leather and they're just not anymore? Or can you get a leather version or how does that work? Yeah, they originally, I think these, these were, as Stan explained to me, I think off, off camera, off microphone, uh, he, it, it, this was the first ever leather tennis shoe. Before that, they used to have uh, canvas shoes, just like the basketball that Chuck yeah, mentioned, yeah. right? They were, they were high top canvas shoes and these, and the tennis shoes were low top canvas shoes. And this was the first one. And it was not his shoe um, um, to begin with, right? He kind of inherited this shoe. There was um, um, another tennis player, a French tennis player, and I don't want to butcher his name. His name was Robert Allier, which is H-A-I-L-L-E-T, or Allier. And he had this shoe made for him. Um, um, The names, uh, I think... So the uh, Adidasler, who was the founder of Adidas, his son was um, working in Paris, and he was the one who came up with the shoe with Robert, and they created the shoe together. And when Robert was close to the end of his career, Stan had started wearing the shoe, and they kind of needed somebody to refresh the line and keep the shoe alive. And so Stan became the 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 new face of the shoe but um i i have the book remember a few a few good few episodes ago you told me that some guy you you some guy complimented on your shoes on the the plane and then he said that he had the book signed by him so i also have the book and i i read the book and of course i i prepared for the interview from the book and and um and he also signed my book very kindly and um in the book he tells the story that um when when Robert um, retired, they gave Stan's the, the shoe and they put his name on it. And then the shoe went overseas to the US. And then the the retailers started complaining that people are not buying the shoe because uh, Robert's name is not on it anymore and they don't know what it is. So I think there was this grace period of like seven years when both Robert Allier's and Stan Smith's name was on the shoe. And eventually they phased him out and kept Stan Smith on uh, on the shoe and it became the Stan Smith. But yeah, but he, he definitely did not um, design the shoe or he, he kind of inherited it. But of course he made it world famous or Adidas made it, whoever. But, you know, it became yeah. world famous connected to him. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I can't still get leather versions as well. Well, you can't. Right. Exactly. So there, it's funny because I just bought a new pair and they were they were vegan as well. And I sent them back immediately because I think, uh, those, I mean, vegan means fake leather. So, um, I did not, I, I had bad experience with fake leather in the past, but the, but there's a bunch of, um, still ones that are made still in leather. And, uh, if you buy the original, the green one, I think you can have it in vegan, but you also, you can have it in leather. Um, 
the funny thing is when you look it up online, you have to look at the heel. And under the heel tab, if you if you check it from the side, you can see there's this there's this stitching that goes from the heel tab all the way down to the sole in the middle. And if you look at it from the side, if it's kind of dark, you can see the leather. If it's white, it's just painted um, fake leather or PU leather or whatever they call it. Polyurethane, yeah. Okay. You know what well, I mean? Yeah, you might have to send me a link later to the German site for the um, leather ones because I couldn't find them the other day. Mm. No, it's just I'll, I'll I'll have a look. But then also in Adidas, you can you can order it from from their site. But um, yeah, yeah. There's I mean, there's been so many different versions. The book is is filled with that. And just one note, um, you said it's a you know it's different generations. There's a lot of story in the book where people are interviewed. Um, I don't know who it, it was. A it, the book is written by Stan Smith and somebody else, and I guess this other author he interviewed people in shops or I don't know. And a lot of the stories are about, yeah, I'm I'm in the shop buying the shoe with my dad because he wore them, and now I'm wearing it. And then we're we're buying matching pairs, father and son, or daughter and daughter and father, or something like that. So it is a, a multi generational thing, and that's Stan also talks about that how it's just like a phenomenon that's been you know living its own life since the 80s, and especially since the early 2000s, and it was re released and part of the originals collection and things like that. Well, I'm really glad you got to meet him. That, that sounds cool. And I'm glad he was a nice guy and lived up to your expectations. So yeah, very cool. Absolutely. So, Super nice guy. So yeah, so we can, we can kind of segue into the interview here and should we say our, say our goodbyes before uh, we kick off the interview? Yeah, we can. Absolutely. I mean, um, what you will listen is, a, as I said, a, a little chat between me and Stan Smith. Thanks to Maurice de Moriak and um, thanks again. And shout out to Leo and Mr. Stan Smith for sitting down with me. Nice. Well, can't wait to listen to it. <laughs> and with that, Balash, uh, I'll talk to you from uh, over in Europe next time and wish you a great remainder of your weekend. And Mike is out. Thanks, Mike. Um, I wish you a safe flight, as I said, and I'll catch you hopefully next week, which is tomorrow. Balash is out thanks for uh thanks for sitting down with us taking the time sure um we're here because of the watch brand right and we'll talk about that but i'd like to start with the sport that allowed it all to happen and that's tennis um in your book which is right there some people think i'm a shoe uh, you tell the story how you started out with basketball but at the age of 15 you changed to tennis was that because of your dad who was a tennis coach or was there any other reason why you You left basketball. In well, the, I played basketball all through high school till I was about 17. And, uh, but I really got interested in, at age 15 because of a foundation that was formed at Pasadena Tennis Patrons. And, uh, they helped, uh, there's a group of parents and they helped, uh, hire Pancho Segura, who's one of the great mm -hmm. coaches. And he came over every Saturday from Beverly Hills to Pasadena, Pasadena High School. And he's, you know, very, Uh, you know, basic courts with a hard wire net, which was interesting. And uh, so we got to work out with him for about four hours every Saturday uh, during that time from 18 to 17, those mm -hmm. three years, eight, 15, 16, 17. So that's how I really got, you know, very interested because these people were helping me. To, then the people in Southern California, Southern California, Tennis Association started helping me. Then the USTA started helping me, the United States gotcha. Foundation. 
So, you know, the, the NBA finals is just around the corner with the California team, the Golden State Warriors, representing the West and Boston, representing the East. As someone who grew up in Pasadena, California, have you ever been uh, a fan? Because it's the outskirts of L.A., right, Pasadena. Have you been a Laker fan? Or I was a Laker fan. I was uh, an avid Laker fan when Jerry West yeah. uh, and Elgin Baylor, they yeah. were the two great stars of the team. And I would actually play in my backyard and pretend I was <laughs> Elgin Baylor. Then I'd pretend I was Jerry West and shoot baskets in my backyard by myself sometimes. And uh, so that was uh, that was a great team. And I've been a Laker fan really ever since, but I really am now a Warriors fan. I love Steph Curry and, and, uh, I love the way they play. It's, uh, you know, a fast moving yeah. strategy they play. And, and so I'm, I'm hoping they're going to win exactly. again. Plus, I don't like the Boston team. I don't like the Celtics. Because, oh, they're wearing green and white. <laughs> yeah. They're wearing green and white. That's about the only good thing about them. But I went to a game one time where the, in Boston, in Boston, it was an LA Boston game. Yeah. Several years ago, ten years ago, and they had a uh, they had a beat the Lakers shirt on every seat. So I took it and threw it, you know, down <laughs> away. But uh, anyway, that's that was it's a famous place, the Boston, yeah. you know, arena. Yeah, well, let's hope that the Warriors will defeat them. Um, as as a young tennis player, you set four goals for yourself, right? You said that you want to become a member of the U.S. Davis Cup team. You want to be a, a player, number one player in the U.S., in the world, and you want to win Wimbledon. And then you check, 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 check all four of those. If you look back at your career now, is there a fifth goal that, you know, you would have never thought to achieve, but you did anyways, that now you can put that on the list? as the fifth Well, goal. winning the final year-end final, the Masters, uh, at that time was called the Masters. Now it's the ATP final. Uh, and uh, that wasn't really there until yeah. actually I won the first one in 1970. So that was, uh, it was not a goal I had, but it certainly was great. Then of course to win the U S open was great. And it, it, it wasn't one of those four golds, but, uh, that was great. And then to play Davis cup, uh, you know, and, and win that for the team, I was able to do that seven times. So that was pretty special. So do you have, uh, um, any relationship with any of the players these days in tennis? I mean, or, Well, I know the guys, the older guys particularly. I know Roger and, and Rafa and, and Novak and Andy, those four guys, and, and uh, a lot of the Americans. I know most of the American guys, you know, that uh, some of those guys are retired now with, uh, you know, Roddick and, yeah. uh, Andy and some of those, you know, players. But, you know, I know Isner and, and some of those young guys. And also I, I have a company that helps to inter helps companies entertain their clients at major events, uh, not just tennis, but Olympics and that sort of thing. And, and I've been the president of the International Tennis Hall of Fame. And one of the jobs is to, uh, to get players into the Hall of Fame. The great players they have to be retired for five years. So I've been very involved in the game in that respect. So I, I know most of the players, uh, and some of them I know pretty well, and others, you know, just to follow, you sure. know, just like others. So speaking of... Uh, legendary players, um, you know, Fred Perry, Rene Lacoste, and you are on the Mount Rushmore of tennis stars who became fashion icons, but Mount Rushmore has four faces. So who's the fourth one, do you think? <laughs> Maybe Roger, you know, I, unfortunately, he's okay. got a shoe out there that looks a lot my shoe, like my shoe. I'm not happy about that, but uh, he might be the guy. He's, uh, you know... 
it's it's a really debatable with those three guys who's really the greatest and uh and i always have roger at the top of the list but uh but he's also been pretty involved in fashion he's got a shoe out so in the fashion area he could be uh, in that area as well okay well i was not expecting that one but that's a that's a cool answer um now let's talk a bit about the shoe itself and and there's another cool story in your book when one of your sons trevor asked you if the shoe was named after you or if you were named after the shoe um you know do you see this as a as a juxtaposition the fact that i mean for another generation you are more the shoe than a tennis player or do you enjoy this unfamiliarity by by the younger generation well uh i'll tell a story i did, I did an interview with the uh the Wall Street Journal, and mm-hmm. the guy asked me about that, and he said, well, you know, I said to them, really, about 95% of the people in the world have no idea who I am, but they know the shoe. Yeah. And my wife kind of piped into the background and said, 99% of the people in the world have no idea who you are. <laughs> so uh, she's keeping me grounded, but uh, it's, it is true. I mean, it, the shoe uh, was taken off the market in uh, 12 and 13, and was brought back in 14. And, it, you know, it was popular for 40 years before that. But then at that point in time, it really exploded. And, and so uh, all over the world, and, yeah. you know, Japan, France is really the home of the shoe. Yeah. But it's popular in every country in the world. And so uh, it's been fun to see young people. And the great thing about it is you've got, you know, young kids. Then you've got an older generation that wear it both men and women, boys and girls. And so it's not just an exclusively uh, one generation shoe. It's yeah. it's three generations, maybe. Then there's men and women and boys and girls. And so uh, it's not considered a men's shoe or a woman's shoe. It's really anything. And so I think that the fact it's very simple, it goes with everything. Mm-hmm. You can wear it with green. Uh, you can wear it with brown or you can wear it with gray or whatever. And, and you can, the other night, actually, at the, I was honored at this uh, with the Philippe Chatre Award. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, for service to tennis. And I had my tuxedo, my very best tuxedo with my white shoes. And uh, so I, that was kind of cool. It has a bunch of pictures in the book. Are you wearing a tuxedo and uh and the shoes as well. Yeah, I don't I do it too often, but I, I haven't been doing it lately. And it's so, um, you know, I, I think not many know unless they read the book, but uh, the portrait, like Adidas used on the tongue of the shoe, right, was, was a portrait of you that was taken that six months when you did not wear a mustache. And I'm sure a thousand people ask the questions, why and why did you shave it off? And, 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 uh, that's not my question, but please answer if, if you'd like to. But <laughs> my question is, have you or Adidas ever thought about changing it afterwards or updating it? I know it was updated for the skater shoe, but other than that, or yeah. it just, it was just like a. Yeah, the skater shoe put that felt mustache yeah, on exactly. it. It's, it's kind of, uh, acute. I must say, first of all, that, that, uh, Adidas has been very creative and, and not only, what they've done with the shoe itself with different materials, different colors. Uh, the profile, of course, is exactly the same, but also in marketing. And, and the biggest thing is really collaborations with other uh, uh, either designers or, um, you know, sh- shoemakers or sure. that sort of thing. And so it's been, uh, it's been fun to see that. And, and in fact, the, there's a bit of a shadow over the, the uh the lip and so it 
you really can't tell necessarily whether there's a mustache right. there or not. So it's, I don't think we're ever going to change that photograph to answer your question. No, by now, no, probably not. Um, so, you know, I, I, I look at the photos and I see people like John Lennon, like David Bowie, like Barack Obama, just a few names of, you know, that were the shoe. And these are very, very special people. How do you even digest that these probably the more important figures, pop culture, or otherwise of the 20th or 21st century have a direct relation to you through the shoe? How, how can you even digest that? I mean, these guys are. Yeah, it's, it is amazing. You know, I've run into a few people, Hugh Grant, for instance, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was there at Wimbledon and he was right in front of me and he turned around and he said, you know, the first girl I've ever kissed, I was wearing your shoe, <laughs> you know, and it was kind of a fun. Probably comment, kissed a lot of girls. Since yeah, then. <laughs> probably. Have since then, but, uh, uh, I hope he's still wearing the shoe. But, uh, anyway, and, uh, you know, there's others that have said things like that. And, and it, you know, I, I think that the great thing about it is that people like it, n- not necessarily because of my name on it, but just they think it's, you know, it's a shoe they'd like to wear. Yeah. And so it, it's a, a ringing endorsement without, you know, paying people. And normally in today's world, uh, you see celebrities being paid quite yeah. a bit to wear things, to do things, to say things. And, yeah. and in this case, they're wearing it because they like it, you know, and they, and it's amazing that, uh, you know, the different people that have worn it, it's a, it, you know, so, so you got, you know, got Obama, then you got yeah. Trump's wife, and then you've got, you know, different politicians. George Schultz, who was the Secretary of State. Yeah. One time came up to me and said, my doctor recommended your shoe because of my foot problem. <laughs> wow. So, uh, you know, things like that have happened over the years. It's, it's really fun. So can you give us a, a shocker, like a Stan Smith photo that, that even shocked you when you, when you realized that this person was wearing one? Well, the, the one that shocked me the most, I think, was Giselle. Okay. And uh, she was wearing it with, I guess she had socks on, but that was it. Okay. And uh, so it was the last modeling thing she did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was done nicely, you know, but uh, she was, you know, uh, full Monty, I guess you might say. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, that, that was uh, I, I, some people, someone sent it to me and they said, uh, you know, what do you think of the shoe? And I said, you know, what shoe? You know, <laughs> I'll show you the picture after we finish. <laughs> um There's a debate about the about Harrison Ford's character in Blade Runner, Rick Deckard. If he wears a black dot Adidas Stan Smith or another one that Adidas official, which is which is made for referees. Yeah. What do you think? I say it is my shoe, but I, I don't know the answer to that either. Yeah, I think it is. I I tried to find some pictures. It looks like it. Yeah, yeah. Um as you just mentioned, you in- inherited the shoe basically from from another legendary tennis player, Robert Elliott from from um France. Um, so it was an already existing shoe with a silhouette um, that pretty much remained the same. But um, did you mind that you did not have a word in design or redesign the shoe? Or you were just happy that you you were endorsing the same? I was honored to be asked to to help with that because Robert Hayet, who was on the shoe at the beginning, hmm. uh, was one of, was the top French player. And he and Horst Dossler, who was Adi Dossler's son, designed this very first leather shoe. Yeah. And before that, we wore canvas. Mm-hmm. And so I started wearing this shoe a couple of years before I got involved with my name, actually, uh, because it was the only leather shoe, and it was pretty special. It was mm-hmm. high-tech. Yeah, at the time, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, 
then the uh, when I, I got involved and, and it had both of our names on it for about four or five years with Robert's name and my picture and both names and that sort of thing. And and then finally they, they took his name off the shoe. I got to know Robert, uh, actually. He's probably 10 years, 15 years older, and he passed away a couple of years ago. But uh, uh, it, was a, it was a nice relationship. And his son is just a little bit younger than me, Jean-Louis uh, Haye. So we, we developed a relationship because of that. But, uh, you know, I wasn't involved in that thing. I was involved with sort of uh, suggesting having this little loop here to mm-hmm. keep the tongue from moving. And then also a little bit bigger uh, in the back to kind of protect the Achilles tendon. But really the shoe is, is almost exactly the same. I had a funny story with a, my niece lived in London. Mm-hmm. And she's, I guess at that time, 15 years old. And she was in a PE class. And the mm-hmm. teacher said, you can't wear that shoe. She was wearing my shoe. You can't wear that shoe for PE. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, she, said, she said to the teacher, what do you mean? He says, well, it's a fashion shoe. It's not a trainer. She said, well, my uncle won Wimbledon wearing the shoe. <laughs> and so uh, the teacher, I think, relented and, and allowed her to wear that shoe. <laughs> um, you know, the Adidas Stan Smith shoes, albeit being collectible, they are affordable and kind of accessible sneakers in, in today's world where, where collectors have to pay thousands or tens of thousands of dollars for certain shoes, Jordans and, and otherwise. Um, you know, what's your take on this sneaker collecting that, that basically what it had transpired to in 2022 when really there's these astronomically expensive sneakers and people just put them in cases and never wear them versus having very, very cool shoes. You just signed a bunch of different editions, yeah. but they were available more or less to the market. Yeah, I, I like the fact, you know, when I sign the shoes, I encourage people to wear them, you know. And in fact, I usually don't sign it too big, so it's not too obvious. But I encourage people to wear them because, you know, why, why just put them up in, and, uh, as a display? And mm-hmm. Because they're comfortable, and that's why people have bought them over the years. You know, they're simple, they're comfortable, you can wear them with everything, and, and all the reasons why they've been successful. And so, uh, you know, it's... It's fun for me to see people wearing them, and then this whole idea of of reselling and that, and that that whole secondary and third market is interesting. And my shoes gotten involved in that a little bit as well with some of the limited edition ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they had the 50th anniversary of winning U.S. Open and the 50th of winning Wimbledon. And <laughs> ironically, they uh, they sent me the 50th anniversary for Wimbledon, and they had the na- the date on the inside of the shoe. And it was the wrong date. Wow. And I also had the date on in a kind of gold tip shoelace. Mm-hmm. And so those shoes might become even more valuable because the first the, the first uh, batch of the shoes they made had the wrong date on so them had to, be to celebrate the uh, anniversary of winning Wimbledon. Going back to the book again, in, in the book you talk about the, the Stan Smith events, right? And how this crucial part of, of the events for the guests is to get the the signed shoe from you. And so I've never been to an event, but I have a shoe and I'd like to experience that. So if you wouldn't mind, please sign my shoes and, and I'll tell you a, a, a story while, while you do that. I can give you both. These are, as you might see, they're not new. Yeah. They are fine. from, they're made in Morocco. So probably from the eighties or I don't know when they were made in Morocco, but uh, I found them on eBay like 15 years ago. And, um, I didn't, I wore them for a few months and then I stopped wearing them. And I said, 
um, I, I would like to meet the guy and I'd like the shoes to be signed. So I, I've had many over the years, but I kept them and that's why they look pretty new. Yeah. And, um, and I thought that I'll just save them for whenever the time comes to, so I meet. Stan you know, Spurs. we are going to get together, huh? I, I, well, in 2008, when I saved the shoes, I was not sure about that. But uh, 15 years later, I still have the shoes in. And I thought it's better to sign a vintage one than the new ones. Sure. Well, these are, you know, relatively new. They look the same, of course. They haven't changed that yeah. much. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. And so, sadly, these will not be worn, but I have new ones. And that's really cool, right? Because then you can... Yeah. You can, thank yeah. you. Well, I, you can sign them and then they put them on the shelf and then they can buy new ones and wear them. That's even better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've done that. We've done this where we've uh, given the shoes to the guests, and we've also given the book to the guests, which is well, uh, I have a book as well as you know. It's so. not a problem with the sizing, <laughs> but uh, thank you, my pleasure. Thank you. Um, just a few questions about watches, obviously, because we are, as I said in the beginning, here because of a watch brand, right? So we are in Zurich at the Maurice de Mariac Atelier. Um, just in a few words. How did this collaboration come about? Well, it, it obviously has to do a little bit with the shoe. In fact, uh, my favorite signing of the shoes, we just went through that, but uh, was to, uh, to Louis, who is uh, Kate and William's youngest uh, child. And mm -hmm. I did that two years ago at Wimbledon. And I handed it to Kate in the royal box. And, uh, and several photographers got the actual picture of Louis from Stan Smith on it. So... That was probably the most well-known sign that, that I've done that was went viral, uh, you know, you know during that men's final. But, uh, our, our, uh, you know, they uh, they came up. The Dreyfuses came up to me and, and wanted to uh, to do something and to create a watch, and so we started talking about it. and And uh, I liked the idea of of uh, creating a, a watch. It's not my field, um, but. Uh, Obviously, I'd, I'd worn a watch in a few years, and so I'd, I liked the idea of doing something that was fairly simple and, um, and clean, a little bit like the shoe. Mm -hmm. So we did the, the white watch uh, with the, uh, the name on the watch, uh, and it's uh, instead of saying uh, made in Swiss, it's made in Smith. So it's uh, <laughs> the, the watchmaker hopefully... Uh, got the right the right name on it, but uh, anyway, it's been fun to see the, the watch and uh, and uh, you know I like it. It's it's like I say, it's a, a nice clean look. Do you think that the partnership opened up this other realm for you, realm being watch fans? I mean, you know, it's kind of like a cross uh, cultural thing, right, between tennis and shoes and watches. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's the same idea as the, you know, the athletic shoe with a fashion shoe kind of intersecting and, and evolving. And then the, of course the watch possibly evolving from the shoe, uh, you know, idea as well. And then of course the book has been right. uh, kind of in conjunction with that as well. So it's, uh, it's, you know, we'll see how many, you know, people that are, you know, really buying the watches, you know, like it and, and, and kind of connected to. Sure. You only wear this watch now and that's a given, but there are some other photos in the book when I see you wearing certain watches and especially one with the, with the, the, the buckle on the top and the watch at the bottom of your wrist yeah. during your career, during your time, have you worn watches on or off the court? I'm guessing not necessarily on the court, but off the court. 
Well, you know, Nadal yesterday, I watched him play, and he's, got, he's wearing a watch, and it's, uh, yeah. uh, it's amazing, actually. It's a pretty big watch. But, yeah. uh, so I didn't wear a watch, but normally, right after I got off the court, I remember uh, this is before racket bags. I had it in my racket cover, and the first thing I would do is to go to my racket cover and put my watch on. Okay. And uh, one time I, I lost a match to a guy named Balas Tarasky, as a matter of <laughs> fact. And uh, I was upset. I didn't do that. And I went to the locker and I went to, to, to go home. And I looked at the time. I didn't have a watch. And so I went back to the court, went back to the locker room, and uh, the watch was gone. So uh, I, I actually I've seen some of the players today do that. As soon as they get off the, the court, their match, they put on this watch or put on a watch. Yeah. And so uh, so I've... I've been in the watches over the years perfect well that's all i have thanks a lot for your time thanks a lot for answering the questions and sure. signing my shoe um but thanks really appreciate it pleasure thanks. Thanks.